Good morning. Merry Christmas. You know, Christmas, that name says it all. I'm, I'm loud. Don't worry. They'll turn me down in a second. Um, the, the name says it all. And the, the first record we have of the word Christmas is actually kind of new in terms of the birth of Christ. Uh, the first time we ever see the word Christmas used is in 1038 AD, so a thousand years after Christ is born, over a thousand years after he's born. So it's relatively new. I know a thousand years seems like a long time ago, but it's relatively new in that sense that uh, they didn't start using the word Christmas until well after the birth of Christ. And, and Christmas was meant to be a service where the body of Christ came together to commemorate the body of Christ. And what he did for us, and how he came, and how he died, and how he has risen again. And so this Christmas, it is Sunday morning. And, and normally we take communion on the first of the month, which would, which would be next week, but we're going to actually take it today. And so uh, it's, it's the perfect time to do it. We remember that Christ came on Christmas. The name says it all. Matthew uh, 118 uh, Barry read it earlier, says that the birth of Christ happened in this way. And then in Luke, we're told uh, more about how the birth of Christ took place. And we'll look at the Matthew one eighteen passage a little later. But uh, Luke one twenty six through 35 says these things. And I encourage you to grab your note sheets, grab your Bibles, follow along. Um, we're actually going to be all over the Bible to, to think about Christmas and how we should celebrate and why we celebrate But I want to point out a few things that may be different aspects to Christmas that, that we don't regularly think about. And here's how Luke records it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Huh? Or actually, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy, the Son of God. This last verse here, 35, let me read that again. I want to point out something to you that I didn't realize until just this last week when I was studying this. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That same term is used in Exodus 40, verse 35, when the Spirit of God comes into the tabernacle and Moses can't go in. And so what happens on Christmas is that the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary in a new and spectacular way that gives us 
a, a huge reason to celebrate. And, and that's what I want us to think about today. I want us to look at three reasons we celebrate. And these, some of these, hopefully, you've thought about, but some of these might be new aspects to Christmas that we haven't actually pinned to Christmas before. And, and so I'm just going to go through these. And so here they are. Number one is this. And I'm going to use a few terms interchangeably here, so don't be confused. I might say nativity, I might say advent, I might say incarnation, I might say birth and conception of Christ. And those, I'm using those all interchangeably here. The manner of Christ's conception and birth means he is the new Adam. I think the point up there is the second point. Is there, is there a point before that point? Okay. On your notes, don't write this. This is the second point. Uh, you should be writing on your notes. The manner of his conception birth means he is the new Adam. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 with me. You see, Christ's conception was unlike any other human being in history. Mary says, that's not possible. How is this going to be? I'm a virgin. And, and the angel says, don't worry. God. He can, he can do anything he wants. He, the, the power of the Most High, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Just like the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God fills the temple and Moses can't enter in, or the tabernacle and can't enter in. There's two other human beings in history that had a, a different kind of origin story, Adam and Eve. They, they didn't come into the world like you and I, and they didn't come into the world like Jesus did. And, and this is what Paul says to the Romans in, in verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, uh, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all man because all sinned. And look down at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, we're talking about Adam and Eve here. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so that the manner in which Christ is conceived and born means that Christ is born without sin. Just like the first humans. No other human be between Adam and Jesus were born without sin. And no other human after Jesus was born without sin. And so because of how Christ came in the world, he was actually able to start without sin. I have four kids, and I know that they were born sinners. It doesn't take long to figure that out. <laughs> Christ was altogether different. His conception and birth was unique. His advent was spectacular and supernatural. It's interesting, the word nativity carries in it this word natural. That, that's the root, natal, uh, the hospital neonatal unit, like that, that's all natural. Christ was born in the same way you and I were born. 
in the womb, out the womb, that was natural. His conception was supernatural. That, that makes a huge difference. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 42 through 49. It's, it's crucial that Christ came into this world this way, that the second person of the Trinity came into the world in a way that's different than us so that he might be able to do something different for us. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is shown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's the difference. Jesus is the new Adam. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. And the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of, of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are in heaven. Just as we have been born, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus came into the world so that we might be his image bearers once again. Because what Adam did, what Adam and Eve did was mar that image. And so Jesus came in, in a different way so that we might be restored to be image bearers once more. The second point, which you already saw, is that the manner of his advent means that he experienced what we experience, and so we have a, a sympathetic Savior. Hebrews 2.18 tells us this. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And again, in, in verse 15 of chapter 4, it says, uh, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So not only did he start without sin, but he continued without sin. And that was only possible because of how he came into the world. And look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. I told you we're going to be all over the Bible today just to show you how significant Christmas really is. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22 for to those who have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He lived in such a way and made it possible for us to follow him and follow his example because of what he's done now and the Holy Spirit which he's given us. This is incredible. Do you understand that the manner in which Christ came allows us 
to recognize that we have a sympathetic Savior, and, and that's part of why we celebrate today. It's recognizing, it's not just that he came into this world and entered into this messy place, but it's that he actually came and and did what we could not do and lived in such a way that we could look to him and see who he is. And And the third thing related to those is that the manner of the incarnation means that he could actually die. He became human so that he could die. God can't die, but man can. And so he, he put on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could die. But because of who he is, not just fully human, but being fully God, he didn't have to stay dead. He had the power to take his life back up again. And so, yes, he died, but now, because of who he is, he lives. And, and that means we get to live. That makes life eternal for us possible. But, but that's, that's not all that happened at Christmas. Yes, he came to, so that he could die for us, so that we might live. But it's not just so that we would have eternal life. It's that we would have eternal life with him. Look at what... The writer of Hebrews says, we looked at one of these verses, but I want to show you all of them now, uh, or, or the, the ones around them. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is who he is. This is why he came. This is... Why we know we have a sympathetic Savior. He came to dwell among us, to be like us, so that we might live. But not just so that we would have eternal life, but that we would have eternal life with Him. John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I said we would look at the Matthew 1 passage, and I want to look at that now. Matthew 1.18 that Barry read earlier this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, 
the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, it says that uh, before he took the Passover meal, look at John 13. This isn't in the notes, but, but it's remarkable how similar this is. John 13. Verse 1, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments. Hear, hear the incarnation in these, in, in these words. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to the wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. But Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, Settle down. Or actually, the, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Jesus gets down, he lays aside his outer garments, and serves his followers. And this is what we're told to do. This is what Paul tells us in Philippians 2, which we saw in the video just moments ago. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is incredible, and this is why we celebrate Christmas. 
And this is why today we're going to celebrate communion. You know, when Jesus was beginning his ministry, one of, one of the things he did was he went out in the wilderness where he was tempted. And, and one of his first temptations after he had fasted for 40 days was the, the tempter came and said, why don't you just turn those rocks into bread? And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I think Jesus knew more of what he was saying than even Satan himself understood. Because later in John chapter 6, Jesus says that I am the bread of life. Jesus understood that, that what we need is Emmanuel, God with us. We are sustained on the person and work of Christ. So it's fitting that at Christmas time we would partake of communion together. That when we remember that this baby that was born in Bethlehem, which by the way in Hebrew means house of bread, that we would partake of the, the body and the blood of Christ, recognizing who He is and what He did for us. That, that His life and death and resurrection and ascension means that we live and that we'll live eternally with Him, God with us, now and forever. I want to invite the ushers to come forward with the elements as as I pray, and then uh, Terry, one of the elders here, is going to lead us in a time of communion. Communion is something that we do together as believers to commemorate who Christ is and what he's done. And what a better time than Christmas to do that together. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you that you are the bread of life. That we have life because of the work that you have done. And so God, thank you for this gift of your Son. And thank you now that you have given us the spirit that we might follow and live obediently following his example, Lord. So we thank you and praise you for that. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.